There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen. The sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free And my shame is undone Your presence, Lord Holy Spirit, you are welcome here Come fly
equipment adjustment here and we're ready good morning wow what a good day in the lord's house uh real quick if you wouldn't mind turning to page 1398 1398 is going to be toward the back going to be in the first first john chapter one today we're going to read um five through seven it's not long but it's packed full powerful words from uh, from John and bless the Lord we don't have anybody unless someone can remind us anybody on the sick list bless the Lord for that amen so uh, we'll just keep praying maybe Joe and Susan decide to come back home one of these days <laughs> can't imagine them wanting to be where they are and not come back to West Texas but anyway anyway it looks like they're having a good time bless them on their trip all right, we're going to be in verses 5 through 7, so we don't miss anything. Let's get these on. All right. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. Blessing. Lord, we just, uh, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, even to see, uh, Lord, in the writings of John and these disciples who walked with you and who saw what you did and who learned your heart and uh, who knew you so well, Lord, to see even their writing change and become so more rich, Lord, in the end. Lord, they knew they were so absolutely convinced of who you were and why you came and lord i just thank you for this uh they 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 write such a challenging messages there is no gray uh in in walking with you it's either darkness or light and i thank you for this picture that you give us in this scripture lord i pray you give us strength give us the heart to want to run to the light and hang on with all we have. Uh, we bless you. Thank you for the day. We just thank you, Lord. We have uh, seen so many healings in our church family, Lord. Thank you that we are all well. And we pray you continue just to walk with us. But above all, Lord, I pray spiritually you will work in our lives and just lead us to be your people as we go throughout each day. Uh, we do thank you, Lord, for this time we can come together. Pray that your word would uh, would pierce our hearts today. Each one of us, Lord, would have eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, what you would have us to know. Not so that we can be uh, happier or have a better life, but we could so that we can represent you to the world. We bless you and we thank you for this day. I pray your mighty spirit, Lord, would, would be open and free and welcome here to work in our hearts today. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
Oh, oh, oh. 
heaven and all who are thirsty would thirst no more I wonder if I can drink of this fountain the least of ten thousand I come here at the
said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and he returned me to the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the valley and enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the river goes, shall live. Oh 
Good morning. Wonderful, wonderful time of worship. So praise the Lord for these great songs this morning and this opportunity to bow before him. We've been in the book of John and are going to continue in our study in John. So if you'll open with me to page 1230, we're going to be in John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Page 1230, John chapter 7. This is a place that oftentimes we study when we're talking about God's feast. And so you'll probably be familiar with some of the things we're going to look at today. But I pray that the Lord would help us see these things with a fresh look and with a thirst for his truth and what he's saying to us today. So we'll begin in John chapter 7, verse 1, page 1230. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Once again, I want to clarify what is actually being said here. So Jesus is walking in Galilee because he didn't want to go down into Judea. And then it says because of the Jews. But this word, the Jews, is not the whole, all the Jewish people. It's the Jewish leaders. So we have to really get that in our head. It's the people who were the Pharisees. It's the people that were the, the leaders that had made up their own laws and their own ways that... Um, sought to kill Jesus. So understand that. Sometimes we find that because of the way the Bible is written, we don't understand that, and we get this place of being angry with the Jewish people. That cannot be what John is drawing us to. Okay, verse 2 says, Now the Jews... Feast of Tabernacle was at hand. So many times we've studied the Feast of Tabernacle. Usually comes later, September, October, somewhere in there. Says his, verse 3 says, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. Your brothers... This place of brothers is talking about his, his actual brothers, the brothers of Jesus. And uh, they're saying that, you know, you should depart from here and go into Judea that, um, that everyone can see what you're doing. So it goes on to say in verse 4, For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So they don't really believe who, in who he is. And they're kind of uh, taunting him and just saying, listen, you know, if you want to be made known, go down here and do these things here. Verse 5 says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is already ready. My time has not come. So here's the thing. Jesus is in a real dilemma because the, the law says that he must go to the feast. 
So in Leviticus 23, if we went back and read in this place, this would be an, a place that you would remember that it says three times a year that the Jewish people, and Jesus is Jewish, had to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles. So by God's law, Jesus has got to go to the feast. And yet he knows that if he goes into this place, that there are people that are ready to kill him. And it's not according to God's timing yet. So that's why Jesus is saying, it's not my time yet. He does know that his time is coming. And his time will come in a feast very soon, Passover, where he will come into Jerusalem, where he will go to the feast for the purpose that they will bring him to the place of, of being sacrificed. But he knows that's not yet. So he doesn't want to come in and create a big stir. But it's very awesome because you're going to see that he still fulfills God's law. He has to. You know why? Because he's without sin. So it's so important that we see that place right here that Jesus has to go because he cannot sin. And sin is anything that is against God's laws. Okay, so he goes on to say, um, well, and I just want to throw out here too. Let me go back to this because I, I love understanding these places. Another thing that I think Jesus is also referring to, I think he is talking about this place of Passover, but I think when he says it's not my time yet, he's also referring, I believe, to a future time the Feast of Tabernacles, when he will really reign for a thousand years, and all nations will come up to Jerusalem to honor who he is. Leave your marker right here, and I just want to look at that. I want you to see that. It's in Zechariah. It's on page 1103. Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14, a couple of things you'll see right here. Looking at verse 1 in uh, chapter 14, on 1102, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. That's talking about Jesus when he's coming back. The day of the Lord is when Jesus returns, the feast of trumpets and the trumpets will sound and Jesus will return and then if you look down to verse 8 it says and in that day so when Jesus returns it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem and halt on them towards the eastern sea uh, I'm sorry half of them towards the eastern sea and half of them towards the western sea in both summer and in winter shall it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. He will reign on this throne in Jerusalem. So I think in this time, it's not yet my time to reign 
in this place. Now you go on over to page, uh, the next page on verse 16. It says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. So you see, even in the millennial reign, the Feast of Tabernacles will be a place that we go and celebrate. What a, what a wonderful opportunity. So let's go back to John. So I think there's two or three things going on here. I think he's saying it's not my time yet to be crucified. That will come at Passover. But I think he's also saying, and it's not my time to reign yet. That will come at another future Feast of Tabernacles. So verse 7 says, and the Lord, I'm sorry, and the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. He's saying, listen, I am the one the world hates because I bring truth to them. And they're seeing the darkness that they're in. Verse 8 says, you go up to this feast. I am not yet going to up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, they remain, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as if it were in secret. So he did go and fulfill what was required of him by the law. He goes to the feast. But he didn't go in a big, with a big group of people that would create a lot of commotion. He just secretly walks in and he's there. And then it says in verse 11, Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? So they're looking for him, these Jewish leaders. And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. I see that even today we still have such a conflict of understanding over who Jesus is. Verse 13 says, however, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught and, Jesus, and the Jewish leaders right here, the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? It just really jumped out at me about this letters. As I was reading this, I was like, okay, I see that, Lord. The, the Jewish uh, leaders are, are marveling. They're, they're kind of amazed at Jesus' teaching. And so what they say here is, how does this man know the letters, no letters. What they're talking about is actually the rabbis would have their own commentary, if you will. So there is scripture, and then each rabbi, whoever, whatever rabbi it, that this that someone was following, they would have their own letters, their own understanding that they would be teaching to the Talmudines to the young disciples that are following each rabbi. And they're saying, how does Jesus know about our teachings? Because he hasn't been with us. He hasn't been sitting at the feet of these rabbis, these Jewish leaders. 
So they are marveling at how he would understand what they've been teaching, what their thoughts are, what their understanding is. That's what they're saying. In verse um, 15, it says, And Jesus marveled, uh, I'm sorry, and Jesus, I'm sorry, thank you, Lord. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. You see, that's, he's coming right back to them. They're saying, how does, he, how does he know our doctrine, our commentary on God's word? And he comes back and he says, my doctrine is not even mine, but the one who sent me. He's saying, I, I don't make up my own doctrine. I'm in line with what the Father doctrine is and if anyone wills to do his will he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority he's saying if you know if you really know God then you'll know that these words are coming from him and not on my own authority he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. He's really coming right back on him, and he's saying, you seek your own glory. You want people to lift you up for what your thoughts are on God's laws. But he is saying, the one who is really, truly of God is, is glorifying him. In verse 19, he said, Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why do you seek to kill me? So he's pointing out to him, You're wanting to kill me. Isn't that one of the laws of Moses? You're not even keeping that. You're wanting to commit murder. And he's throwing it right in their face. He's saying, You're talking about God's laws, and yet you're not even keeping them. You're talking about murdering somebody. So he's really coming right back in their face. In verse 20, the people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? They're saying, Listen, you know, this is the Jewish people, just the people, not the Jewish leaders. And they're saying, What's going on here? Do you have a demon? Because you're thinking somebody's coming to kill you? You see, they don't know what the plan is. And so they're, they're saying, what are, you, what are you even talking about here? But they did understand that this would be against the law. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marveled. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on Sabbath? So he's referring back to this time when they really all got upset because he healed a man on Sabbath. Remember when we taught about that? And that's not even against God's laws, but it was against their laws. And now Jesus is pointing out, he says, if someone, and really it says a man here, if you look this up, it's really talking about a male child. And what he's talking about is if a male child has to be 
circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. He said, so if this happens and it comes up on a Saturday that it's the eighth day, don't you go ahead and honor Moses' law by circumcising this child? And verse, um, <clears throat> verse 23 says, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One? However, we know... There is this, where this man is, I'm sorry, however we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. So they're starting to try to, to put their own thoughts in this, and they're going, well, we know where he's from, but surely when the Messiah comes, this won't, we won't even know this. Do, you know, does this make sense? And they're trying to figure everything out. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, you both know me, and you know where I'm from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. So they tried to take him, but... but God didn't allow that to happen because it's not time. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these that this man has done? See, they're just trying to, they're going, well, now let's see. Let's think about this. He's doing a lot of miracles. Will the Messiah, will the Christ actually do more miracles than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring, these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that, he shall, that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? He said, is he going to go out there and we're not going to know where he is? Does he think he can hide from us? What is this thing that he has said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Then it says, on the last day, so remember, they're at the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's, remember, about the Feast of Tabernacles, it's a seven-day feast. But then it says it's a seven-day feast, and there's an eighth day. Do you remember that, when we've taught about that? A seven-day feast, but then there's an eighth day. So that's where Jesus is talking right now, and starting in verse 37. He says, on the last day, 
That's the eighth day. That great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he comes to this last day. The feast has been going on. These things have been happening at the feast. And so he comes to this last day. And, I, and this place where he, he says he cried out, this word cried out, is not just he spoke it out. It's really a place of extremely loud screaming out. It's a place that he is making a big statement here. I think that you want to remember back a little bit about what's going on right here at the Feast of, of Tabernacles on the eighth day. If you remember, the Feast of Tabernacles is a time of thanksgiving. So they came in a place of celebrating the things that God had done and the things that he was going to do. The harvest that he had given and the harvest that was to come. So it's a great time of thanksgiving back to God, a time of being thankful, a time of rejoicing. It's a time to have joy at this feast. Do you remember they also lived in booths? They would have these little lean-tos as we kind of think of it, but these little booths that they would build outside, and they would stay in these booths, and the booths were interesting because they would make them and build them out of um, these uh, leaves and, and limbs and, uh, and, and big limbs, and I'm sorry, big leaves. But they would make them so that they could still see through the cracks in the roof. It was really important that they always be able to see through. They wanted to be able to see God's glory in the heavenlies. So they always had these little cracks through because they were thankful for what God has done and what he is doing. So this is going on. The booths are going on and this time of celebration and thanksgiving. But then the other thing that happens every day for seven days, the priest would go and do two things. They would actually, uh, there was three groups of people and they would have, followers so one priest would go all the way down to the pool of Siloam and he would take a pitcher and he would gather up a pitcher of water and then he would come back all the way back to the altar and he would pour the water on the altar okay another group and a priest would be coming alongside of them, and they would be singing, and we're going to look at this, the Hiels, and then some scripture out of Isaiah. And then the third group of people, they would be following another priest that is also coming with these two groups to the altar. He has a pitcher of wine, a drink offering. Okay, And he takes this drink offering of wine and he's pouring it out on the altar. Now remember, this is a time of thanksgiving for what God has done and what he is going to do. 
you have to hold on to that, okay? Now, leave your marker here. I want to show you two things. Go to Exodus 23. It's on page 140. page 140, Exodus 23. And if you want some place to read this, uh, this week, this would be a great place to read and just be reminded of what Feast of Tabernacles really looks like. But we're going to look at just one place, looking at verse 37. It says, These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice, and a drink offering, everything on its day. You see where it says that? A drink offering. So the drink offering is the wine that's being poured out. So they're pouring the water out. They're pouring the drink offering out the water. Now turn with me to Isaiah 12. It's on page 797. Isaiah 12, it's on page 797. This is one of the places that they would be singing this. And so it starts in verse uh, 1. Let's just read this. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. That word right there is Yeshua, Jesus. In our English words, this would be Jesus. But in the Hebrew word, it is Yeshua. So it is saying right here, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my Jesus, my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation, my Jesus. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You will draw wells from Jesus. You will draw this water from Jesus. Holding that in your head and understanding, I want to turn to a couple of places. Let's go to 1 John. It's on page 1401. 1 John chapter Looking at verse 6, it says, This is he who came by water and blood, 
Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. So they're coming right now at this time. And they are coming to breathe. And you're going to understand about this water a little bit more. But Jesus is coming and saying, I am the living water that is going on right here at this very time. And it has been poured out on the altar. But at the same time, the drink offering has come, and it is being poured out as well. A picture of the blood. So the water and the blood are being poured out. And the Spirit, along with these, are witnesses to who Jesus is. Turn with me to John 19. It's on page 1240, uh, 1249. Page 1249, John 19, verse 34. You might remember this place. Jesus is on the cross. And the soldiers are coming by to break the the legs of the people that are on the on the crosses and are being crucified so that they'll go ahead and die but they come in verse uh, 33 it says but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead they did not break his legs but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out blood and water poured out on this altar of the cross blood and water is pouring out now I want to go back to um, go back to John 7 where you have your marker And Jesus is screaming out this truth. He is not just speaking. He is yelling it out. He wants people to grab hold of this. And he says, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, you will remember we studied a few weeks ago over in chapter 4, if you turn back a few pages, that he's uh, talking with the Samaritan woman that is at the well, and she's coming to get water, and he asks for a drink. And in verse 13, it says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. 
what is he talking about? This water, the blood that's being poured out, his blood. The wine represents his blood being poured out on the cross. The water. Look at uh, chapter 7, verse 39. He says, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So at the cross, so many things were done. The blood was given for redemption. The blood was given for redemption. The water was poured out that the Spirit might be given. The Spirit. If you turn with me to John 14, a few pages over. Um, page 1242. John writes all of these places and they all come together to create his understanding and depth of what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is talking here to his disciples starting in verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is saying, the, you know, I'm going to leave, but I'm leaving, but the Father's going to give you another. I love this. This another means one of the same kind. One that's just like Jesus. How many times have we thought, oh my goodness, if Jesus could just walk with me every day. If he could just be right here with me and say, don't do that, girl. Yes, walk this way. Do that. Don't do this. So we want that. And Jesus is saying, that is given. And it happens because when Jesus died, the Father created this opportunity for you to receive the Holy Spirit. I love this understanding about the Holy Spirit, it, this word helper, this word parakletos. It, it really is a, a place that is so much better than helper. It means one that will walk alongside you, one that will be right here with you, that will teach you, that will guide you into all truth. What in the world, how amazing our God is that he would create, yes, this great plan of redemption where I can be forgiven. But not only that, but he would give me a helper that would walk with me the rest of my life. As long as I will stay in union with him, he wants to help me. And it's one just like Jesus.
turn a page over to chapter 16, verse 12. John writes again. He says, I, I still have many things. Jesus is saying these things. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I know that's the way Jesus is with all of us. He can't tell you everything he knows today. It's too much. So he has his helper that's going to go along with you, and he's going to teach you things. So he says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. He will teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you God's ways. You know, when I first started this journey with God back at 52 years old, I didn't know much, I didn't know diddly squat about what the Bible said or taught, really. I knew a little bit about Jesus, but I didn't know much else. But what I want to tell you is, if you are faithful to read in his word, God is faithful that his Holy Spirit will come and guide you if you've surrendered your life to Jesus. He will guide you into the truth of what's here. He will teach you. He will talk to you. He doesn't just want to talk to me. He wants to talk to each and every one of us. I want to look at one last scripture in Ezekiel. If you'll turn with me to page 1015. Ezekiel 47. Over the last few weeks, as we've been studying in John, we have seen how John and how Jesus uses numbers and uh, and things to help us to understand the things that he's talking to us. They're symbolic of teachings. They help us to see him in things that we can grab hold of and understand. And that's why Jesus is saying, this is like living water that's going to flow out of you. So he's saying, if you come and receive this Holy Spirit that is available for you, when you surrender your life to Jesus, then out of you will flow rivers of living water. It will flow out of you into your life and into the life of others. I love the pictures and the symbolism and the prophecy that God was using in Ezekiel to help us to understand the message that he has for us today. So starting in verse 1, <clears throat> Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. 
For the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me, he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. You see, there's this temple, and there's an altar, and there's water just running. And that's what he's seeing. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits. And he brought me through the water, and the water came up to my ankles. 1,000 cubits. Now, we've learned that when the Bible talks about numbers, he's telling us something. And so I began to look up, and I said, Lord, what are you telling me? And so the first thing I think about when it's a 1,000, I think about the millennial. And when Jesus will come back and reign for a 1,000 years. But that wasn't the fullness of what I think God wanted me to see. So hold, put your marker, put your paper here, and let's look at where he's defining what this thousand is. And it's in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 111. Let me get you a page number. It's going to be two, uh, 201. Page 201, Deuteronomy 111. Deuteronomy 111 says, May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are. And bless you as he has promised you. A thousand is God's promised blessings. God's promised blessing. Obviously, when Jesus comes back to reign for a thousand years, that's his promised blessing. But I think there's more that he has for us to see in this. I think there's something that he's promising us here and now that you can grab hold of today and look forward to the thousand-year reign. But today we can grab hold of something. So it's, let's read three again. It says, When the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits. You do know where I am. I'm, ba I'm so sorry. I'm back in Ezekiel 47. I'm so sorry. Back in Ezekiel 47 where you put your marker. I got a little excited. <laughs> so if you're back in Ezekiel, it's on page 1015. Is everybody there? Okay, great. Okay, verse 3. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubics you see God's saying there's going to be a promised blessing here and he brought me through the waters the water came up to my ankle again he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters and the water came up to my knees again he measured 1,000 and brought me through the water uh, brought me through and the water came up to my waist 
and he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep, in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me, and he returned me to the bank of the river. So he's had him in the river. Now he's put him on the bank. And when I returned to along the bank of the river, there were many trees on one side and the other. So all of a sudden, there's all these trees now on the side of the bank. They weren't there a while ago, but now they're there. Verse 8 says, Then he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, the waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live. There will be a great multitude of fish because these waters go there. For they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. The river, living water, the Holy Spirit. You see, the man, what he's taking him into, and he's taking him into this river, and at first the water is up to his ankles. Lord, help me here. The river is up to his ankles. And what I've seen in this place is this is a place where someone who has a little bit of Jesus, but they haven't totally surrendered to Jesus. It's only up to their ankles. They only give the Holy Spirit this little bit of area. They've walked into the river but only to their ankles. Most of their body is still under their own authority. They can do whatever they want to do. The water only has a little bit of authority. But you see, God is trying to say there is a promised blessing if you'll come into this water. And so you did. You went a little bit, but not much. Then you go a little bit deeper. He takes the man a little bit deeper, and he takes us a little bit deeper into the water, and the water comes up to the knees. There's another promised blessing, but not much, because most of you is still under the authority of your flesh. You can walk through the water pretty easily when the water's up to your knees. You can do where you go where you want to go, do what you want to do. Then he takes him a little deeper, another thousand cubic. And now he's in the river up to his waist. 
this person has surrendered more to Jesus. But he still has his own authority. Have you ever been in a river and you're up to your waist? It's harder to walk in your own flesh, but you can. The river has some authority, but you still have enough authority that you can move around, that you can go where you want to go. You can do what you want to do. But then he takes him into the river, another thousand cubits. And the water becomes a mighty river. And it says he can't walk anymore in it. He says he can only swim. He cannot walk. He doesn't have his own authority anymore. He can only be moved where the river is moving him. He completely surrenders to the water, to the movement of the Spirit. You ask me today to do something, Lord, I'm yours. You ask me to go, I'm yours. You ask me to speak. You ask me to walk away from things. You ask me to not be involved in certain things in my life. You control me, Lord. You are the river. You are the spirit that moves me through life. Oh, the promised blessings, they're here. But you have to come to the understanding that you can't be in control. I don't care if you've been a Christian for many years. I don't care if this is the early part of your walk. The challenge is still here for each and every one of us today. We can wade into this river and we can give God some authority. And we can allow him to reign in our life ankle deep or knee deep or waist deep. And we can feel good about that because we've said, God, you've got some place. And we can somehow justify that we are okay. But that's not what Jesus is talking about in John. He's talking about something much more powerful than what you would choose to give God. He's talking about this place of completely falling into the river and allowing the river to move you. I want to read John one last time before we close. So if you turn back to your marked area, John chapter 7. In verse 37, he says, in a loud voice. He's screaming out to you. He wants you to hear him. 
If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I pray that if you're here today and you need spiritual healing, maybe you've never come to the place that you've made Jesus Lord at all in your life. Or maybe you're walking in the place where you've given the Lord a little bit of authority. He's got the ankles. Maybe he's got the knees. Maybe he's got the waist. But you've never totally surrendered to where the Spirit will move you wherever it chooses. You're missing out on the promised blessings of what God has for your life. You think you're okay. You think you're doing a pretty good job of running your life. But Jesus knows different, and that's why he's screaming out. So I pray today that if you need spiritual healing, that you would hear these words, that you would be thirsty, that you would come to drink and be filled up, that you would fall into the river and that it would move you into the promises if you're here today and you desire for these places, our elders would love to pray with you as God takes you into the fullness that he has for you. Thank you.
Saturate my thirsty soul. 